Champions Mojo is part of the CG Sports Network. If you have a really big goal, a, a scary goal and dream, it's it's hard to put yourself out there and know that you might, I don't, I don't like saying fail, you might fall short. But at the end of the day, if you do kind of give it everything you have, that and you do fall short, that's something to be really, really proud of. That, that takes a lot of courage. Welcome to the award-winning Champions Mojo, hosted by two world record-holding athletes and health, life, and leadership coaches. Be inspired as you listen to Conversations with Champions. And now, your hosts, Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. This episode of Champions Mojo is brought to you by RISE. Maria, did you know that athletes with mentors are more likely to attend college, have increased social and emotional development, and improved self-esteem? That's powerful, Kelly. I do know that teenagers with a mentor see greater long-term success. Exactly. That's why we are excited to partner with RISE. RISE connects teenage athletes with Olympic and elite mentors. And it's simple to get started. When an athlete goes to the easy-to-use RISE website, they can select a mentor and the subscription that works best for their schedule. They even get a free session with an Olympian or a pro athlete mentor to start so they can see if it's the right fit. Athletes can schedule their weekly one-on-one sessions, chat anytime, and get started on one of the most important relationships an athlete can have. RISE is offering a free introductory session for any athlete who signs up. Visit rise-athletes.com and start your mentorship journey today. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Champions Mojo podcast, and I am co-hosting with Maria Parker today. Hello, Maria. Hi, Kelly. It's great to be here today. Thank you. Yes. And Maria, before we tell you about our guest, world champion and Olympian, Ashley Twitchell, let's welcome her to the show. Hello, Ashley. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yes. Um, Today, we are so excited to have a true two-sport elite swimmer with us. That is Ashley Twitchell. And those two sports are swimming and open water swimming, two very different disciplines and each incredibly competitive. Ashley has already qualified for the now 2021 U.S. Olympic team in the open water 10-kilometer race and is currently a real contender to make the 1,500-meter freestyle event as well. Currently, of of the swimmers currently swimming in the U.S., she is the second fastest American woman behind Katie Ledecky in the 1,500. And if Ashley were to make the Olympic team in the 1500 meter pool event, she would be the first American woman to qualify for these two separate swimming sports in the same Olympics. Maria, what else can you tell us about Ashley? Well, Ashley is sponsored by Tier, and she's a two-time world champion in open water. She was a multiple NCAA All-American at Duke University while posting top academics while well, Duke, she rewrote Duke's record book in 200 free and up. She's also the fourth fastest American ever in the 1500 meter event behind greats like Katie Ledecky, Kate Ziegler, and Janet Evans. And what's really interesting about Ashley is that she just keeps getting faster and faster even after turning 30 years old, which some might consider unusual. So we're excited to talk with her about that and a lot more. Let's get to it. Hey, again, welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Ashley, let's start off with uh, asking you, what does it feel like to already be an Olympian? You you are on the Olympic team for 2021, and many other swimmers are having to wait, or many other sports. Um, How how are you feeling about this? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was 
um, a huge relief and excitement when I qualified in July of 2019. Uh, so the open water qualification is, is different than the pool. And so the first round of qualifications are the year prior to the games. And so even to have been qualified, you know, a year out and be able to just kind of have that pressure off my shoulders, I'm, you know, still planning on trying for the pool team as well. But to have been qualified in open water and just be able to kind of relax a little bit and really train. And um, now I get a bonus year since of the postponement. So um, it'll have been two years since I qualified by the time the games roll around. So um, definitely really nice to have that qualification kind of behind me and, and really be able to focus on training. You mentioned relief. I've heard that in, in other interviews. What, what's, what's relieving about it? Yeah. So for me, um, you know, I first really narrowly missed making an Olympic team in 2012 um, in open water. Um, my first Olympic trials in the pool was 2008. So it's definitely been quite a journey for me. And <laughs> I knew this was um, going to be my last quad uh, for swimming kind of regardless. And so, uh, you know, when I touched that touchpad in South Korea and, and qualify, I finished six in the top 10 qualify. And I, it was a photo finish. It was really close among all the women. And so I was like 99% sure I had qualified, but not a hundred. Um, and once I, you know, talked to my coach and he told me I'd qualified, it was definitely just, I mean, obviously excitement, but I, yeah, the first emotion I really felt was just like relief. Um, and you know, that all that hard work had paid off and, um, to be able to kind of, you know, celebrate that with my parents and my husband who were all over there was, was really special too. So you, you had the, the first, um, Thing was to get into that meet. So you guys had a, a domestic uh, swim where you had to get in the top three or top two. Top, top two Americans. Okay, the top, top two, two Americans. And then you went over there. And could you just explain for our listeners a little bit about when you say it was a really close finish? So you, from there, even though you're a top two American, open water makes you be top 10 in the world championships to go to the Olympics. So you're coming down the stretch of a 10 kilometer race. You've got to swing your arm up and slam it onto a touch pad above you. And it's bumpy and it's aggressive and people are elbowing and fighting to this. Can you just like, tell us a little bit about the treacherousness, the aggressiveness, the, this open water, um, you know, some people, I mean, I've even heard people like somebody got disqualified for yanking somebody's ankle and pulling them backwards <laughs> going, you know, I know. Um, so like talk and, about, yeah. yeah and I want to expand on that question too. This is six, a six mile for those of us who don't do kilometers, <laughs> six yeah. mile swim and it's a photo finish. Tell yeah. So that, yeah. like still, yeah. So, you know, that race was a year and a half ago now and still thinking about it. Like, even though it already, it already happened, I still kind of get like anxiety thinking about it. Um, all open water races kind of, you know, make me feel like that. But, you know, leading up to it, um, there were definitely nerves. And um, like I said, it was going to be my last quad. So I was planning on trying in the pool as well. But I really felt like, you know, I wanted to qualify in open water. And so uh, I did feel pretty relaxed going into it, which was nice. I think, um it's kind of a pro and a con that the race is two hours. So, um, you know, it's not like a sprint or even a 1500, you know, um, race in the pool, you have two hours. So, um, you have plenty of time, but that also, you know, there were times in the race where I would find myself, um, kind of overthinking and, you know, thinking like, okay, like at the end of this two hours, I'll have qualified for the Olympics or I won't. And so, 
as much as possible, I really tried to just stay centered in myself and focused on what was happening in that minute. Um, open water is, you know, pretty crazy. You always have to be watching what people are doing. You never know when someone's going to break away, when the pack's going to break away. Um, turns and feeds are usually really chaotic, especially when it's an Olympic qualifier. So um, I felt like, you know, looking back, I did a really good job of really trying to stay in the moment as much as possible. And coming around the last turn um, of the last lap, it was an, once you turned that buoy, it was an 800 meter stretch to the finish. And when I turned that buoy, it was still like a massive group of women. And I remember thinking throughout the race, like, I hope this pack breaks up at some point. Like, I hope we can break away. And, you know, like if there's just eight of us or even 10 of us in this pack, um, but there was probably still 25, 30 women in that pack. And obviously only 10 are qualifying and coming out of that turn. I knew I, I didn't know what place I was in, but I knew I wasn't in the top 10. I could see way more than, you know, 10 women in front of me. Um, and so I definitely felt like a moment of panic. And in that moment, I told myself like, okay, well, there's 10 minutes left of the race. And no matter what, when I finish, I just want to make sure that I've given it everything I had. And of course, if I hadn't placed top 10, I would have been unbelievably disappointed and crushed, but I could have still been really proud that I had done everything in my power. And so that was kind of my mindset for that last 800 meters. And uh, I found myself passing women and actually felt really strong or as strong as you can feel after racing for two hours. And um, again, the, the finish was really close. I think it was like between fourth and um, like 11th place was less than two seconds. Um, and the difference between 10th and 11th. So making the team and not was one 100th in a two hour race. So, um, again, it was just, it was chaotic and, you know, people are swimming over each other. And so I just did everything I could to kind of get a little bit of clean water to myself and, and get my hand on the touchpad as quickly as I, as I could. And what is your, um, kind of your, plan when you're in a big pack like that do you like to swim to the right of the of the pack in a in a draft or do you swim to the left or do you just you know stay in the middle or what do you generally tend to do yeah I mean every race is different um it depends kind of on the layout of the course so I primarily breathe to my right um in the pool I only breathe to my right in open water I will breathe to the left some but um because of that it it's a little easier for me to be kind of on the left side of the pack. Um, but again, there that I can only control that so much. There are times where I'm just going to be on the right of the pack and um, I've gotten a lot more comfortable with that as I've gone along. Um, same thing, you know, I used to really only be comfortable in the front of the pack and I've learned, um, you know, over the course of many races and practices to um, be comfortable kind of sitting a little bit further back. Um, so while I do have my preferences, I, you know, am comfortable, more comfortable being, um, you know, where not in my ideal position than I used to be. Do you so, have any good stories on just really like a really crazy mix up in the race, like people fighting or people getting on top of yeah, you or just any good stories? Also for people who don't know open water swimming, I mean, I, I've done triathlons, you know, there's turns, so there's big buoys, you're in a big lake or in the ocean. T describe the scene a little bit for people who might not be familiar with open water swimming as much. 
Yeah. So um, at world championships, there's, I think it's usually between like 60 and 70 women in a race. So um, it's a lot of people. And especially for the first bit, you know, it's usually a, a really big pack that never really separates and everyone wants to be in the best spot and everyone's vying for, you know, being in the, in the front and a little bit to the outside. So everyone wants those spots. So um, it's definitely chaotic, especially going around turns. Uh, you know, there's pros and cons to being on the inside, which you technically have the, the shortest course, but you also can sometimes get crushed if you're on the inside going around a turn. And, and then being on the outside, you can, you can lose a lot of ground going around that turn. So um, really just kind of have to play it by ear. I, I really go by each race. And then for the feed, so anything over a 5K, we feed throughout the race. And so that involves um, each summer, each athlete has a feeder that stands, it's typically like a feeding dock. Um, sometimes it's a boat and they have basically a pole and there's a cup in the end of it that your feed goes in. It's usually like a Gatorade bottle or a cup. And um, you kind of, you don't really stop, but you swim up to it, grab it, float on your back, take your feed and keep going. And those are really chaotic too. And you have people swimming through and knocking other people's cups out and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely a much different sport than pool swimming in a lot of ways. In terms of chaos, what race always stands out to me is uh, 2011 open water nationals. So our U.S. nationals, uh, they were in Fort Lauderdale in the ocean. And the morning of the 10K, we went out to the beach and it was like six to eight foot swells, like huge waves. And that was really my second race ever. And I grew up swimming in the ocean just like for fun on vacations with my dad. And so I, I love that. Like I, I thought it was so fun. I was kind of clueless to the sport. Um, and I ended up placing really well in that race, but in the middle of it, um, it was a long, it was a long course. So each lap was 2,500 meters and it was just, you went down, I think it was like a thousand meters and then it was like a rectangle. So a thousand meters and 250 meters. Um, and the waves were so big that you really couldn't see the buoys. You really didn't know where you were going. And so the men were on the course at the same time as us. And they were coming back on the, the on the long leg. And we were going towards it. And I just head on collided with, um, it was actually Alex Meyer, um, a male in the race. And we just, I don't know if I was out of place or he was, but you just, you really couldn't see anything. You were oh just kind gosh. of swimming through these huge waves. So that's kind of what always um, stands out in my mind. I mean, the feeders were on a boat and, the majority of them were getting seasick off the side of the boat in between feet. It was just, it was, it was crazy. And that so was kind of like my foray into open water swimming. <laughs> so you're literally swimming through people getting sick. I guess they're going to swim, hopefully. Getting I, think sick they, the I think they went the on the other side. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yuck. Yuck. Yeah. So that was, ten, that was 10 years ago. And mm -hmm. um, that, that's just, that's crazy. So one of the things we wanted to ask you about was this, lineage of great distance swimmers that we have in the U.S. And of course, right now we have Katie Ledecky. But what are your thoughts, Ashley, on the fact that Janet Evans still has the third fastest 1500 of all time of all Americans after 30 years? Yeah, I mean, there's, I don't think any other word for it besides like, just absolutely amazing, unbelievable. Um, you know, she would obviously still be more than competitive today, which is wild. And I was actually just talking um, to a fellow swimmer the other day about her and uh, the fact that she didn't even have the suits we have nowadays right. um, going those times, which is just wild. And 
I remember when I was at Duke, um, when we would train at UNC, she had um, pool records at that pool. And, you know, there have been some amazing swimmers who have competed in that pool. So um, just phenomenal. And when I was training out in Mission Viejo, um, I trained here from 2011 to 2013. Uh, I got to um, get to know her a little bit. I met her at a golden goggles and then we actually got, you know, dinner and lunch a few times. So it was really cool just to be able to sit down with her and, um, kind of hear her story. And she's, yeah, just a phenomenal athlete, obviously, and also a great person. So, uh, really cool that she, you know, has those times. Did she have any words of advice for you? Uh, we really actually, when we, you know, got meals, we really didn't talk about swimming much, which was, which was kind of nice. nice. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's crazy. My, my question is, you know, we talked in the intro about your age. What advantages do, does being, thir- are you 31 now? 31, yeah. What, 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 what advantages does being 31 give you in, in these events? In these? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things. I think, um, of course, experience, um, both in the pool and open water, but open water especially. I feel like every race I do, I, I still learn a lot. And so I think that's something that, you know, obviously helps me along the way. And then I think another really big thing is perspective. And like I said, I really narrowly missed making it the Olympic team in 2012 in open water. And um, I was, I guess, 20, I was 22 then. And so um, kind of being able to, you know, that was nine years ago. So being able to look back on that now and, and kind of, you know, see, uh, what I learned and, and how I handled it. I think that helped me in 2015 when I missed making the team in open water and 2016 when I missed making the, the team in the pool, I felt like I was much better able to handle those disappointments um, because of what I went through in 2012. And I feel like I'm still learning lessons and um, I just feel like my, my perspective is a lot better um, as I've gotten older. Which sport does the experience help you in more, the open water or the pool? I think open water, just because of all the technicalities. Um, I think that, you know, like I said, I'm still learning. Um, I'm definitely still improving on my turns. That's a huge weakness of mine in open water pool too, but open water, definitely kind of just the techniques, uh, feeding as well. Um, and so I think, yeah, the, the experience in open water is, um, is really helpful. So you um, said you're in Mission Viejo now, and are you back training there for a while, getting ready for trials? Are you going to stay there? What are your plans between now and Olympic trials for this 1500? Yeah, so I'm here for the month. I came out, I think, like the last day of January, and I will go um, directly to the San Antonio um, tier pro swim series from here. So out here for the month, and um, it's been, I'm out here with a training partner of mine from North Carolina, and so it's been great being back. It always feels like home here to me. I, I loved my time out here and, you know, swimming with an outdoors is what put me on the national team for the first time, my first international team. And so I have so many good memories out here. And of course it's nice to swim outside as well. And, um, been training with Haley Anderson, uh, Jordan Wilmoski has been joining us some David Heron. So a really great group. Um, and then really haven't planned out the next few months so much. I, I like taking it kind of week by week. Um, but we'll definitely compete in, uh, more pool meets and then I'll do open water nationals along the way. And then, um, possibly the pro swim series in May. And then of course trials is what I'll really be gearing up for. Very good. So you guys are kind of got a, a little bit of an older training group there. And I would imagine that 
a lot of these young kids are looking up to you, like when the Mission Viejo younger kids see you there. What are your thoughts on, um, on leadership? Yeah, I mean, I think it's huge. I love, um, sometimes I feel really old, but I feel like for the most part, I kind of forget that, you know, I'm a, almost 10 years older than a lot of these kids, if not more. Um, you know, my training base in North Carolina, uh, we train with the club team as well, um, especially this year because of COVID. Um, the kids aren't in school, so we're together in the mornings too. And, you know, I feel like it, the, it goes both ways. Like they keep me young, they keep it fun. They're so, uh, you know, energetic and, and they just have fun. And so that helps me. And um, I hope I can, you know, help them too. And I personally like to lead by example. I'm not super vocal. And so just, um, you know, getting in every day for practice, little things like getting in on time and doing the warm up as written. And then of course, you know, it's, it's always been a huge motto of mine. To, if I'm going to be in the water um, for two hours, or if I'm going to be at the gym for an hour, I'm going to make the most of it. I'm not just going to go through the motions. So that's something that I hope I lead by example. And I hope the, the younger kids that I train with kind of see that and, and hopefully follow in my footsteps a little bit. That's a great, great answer. Yeah. So t- tell me, you know, we, we talked about the advantages of your experience and, and age. What, what are you doing that's keeping you so young in the water? Um, I mean, I think, uh, my training has definitely changed as I've gotten older. Um, I definitely need a little bit more recovery than I used to. Um, I've always loved like just grinding it out as, you know, being a distance swimmer and, um, kind of like those aerobic, uh, sets. And I still love that, but I definitely do need a little bit more recovery than I used to. I can't just grind every single practice like I used to. So I think training, um, has changed in that way. And then I think, something else that I've finally realized the importance of and I've gotten a lot better at is um, just the importance of sleep. And that has helped me tremendously along the way. Um, And, you know, especially when I'm on like a a training camp, whether it's out here in Mission Viejo or Colorado, I find myself really prioritizing sleep and I find my training um, also, you know, a lot better. So I think those two definitely go hand in hand and it took me a while to learn, but but I finally um, see the importance of it. Tell us about your sleep schedule or routine. So while I've been in California, I kind of have stayed on East Coast time, which has been really nice. So um, like I said, I'm, I'm in an Airbnb with my training partner and we're usually like in bed before 830. Um, and I love to I love to read. So um, I just get into bed and read for a bit. I'm usually I've been trying to be asleep before nine. And then I wake up at 5.30 and most days I wake up before my alarm, which is really, really nice and practices at seven. So I'm able to just kind of have more of a relaxed morning than I usually do before practice and eat breakfast and have coffee and, and kind of just chill a little bit and then go to the pool and I feel like refreshed, which is, which is really nice because I have also been on the other end of it and, and find myself in ruts where I'm getting very little sleep, you know, five, six hours and um, I get sick. My training definitely takes a hit. So um, that's my current sleeping routine. I'm going to try to keep with it no matter where I am um, for these next five, six months. Yeah. I love traveling east to west because you do get to stay on the east coast time if you could do it. So the um, best. yeah, Ashley, what, uh, what has been your biggest obstacle in life? Um, so I think well, in terms of my swimming career, which swimming has been obviously a huge part of my life, um, 
I had a shoulder surgery in 2014. Oh my goodness. And that was that was really hard. Um so I had it in July of 2014 and Open Water Nationals um which was essentially was the first like round of the qualifier for for the 2016 games was in April of 2015. So I basically had I guess it was like nine months. And so not only was it really hard to get back in shape physically after a shoulder surgery and being out of the water, I think I was out of the water for 12 to 14 weeks. Um, mentally, it was really hard. Uh, and I found myself, you know, not only for the time out of the water, but once I got back into, I obviously had to take it really slow and, and build into it. Um, and I just found myself thinking, like comparing myself to, to what my competitors were probably doing. And um, so that was really hard. And then I got third at that Open Water Nationals and the top two move on to the Olympic qualifier at World Championships. Um, I did qualify for World Championships, but in the 5K and the 25K. So that that was really hard and kind of making that decision of, of whether or not I even wanted to keep swimming. And then I, of course, did. And then in, in 2016, uh, missed making the team in the 800. I was um, third going into finals and placed fifth in finals. So uh, those were definitely a, a couple of bumpy years. But um, yeah, I mean... If that's, if those are my biggest issues, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. So um, that's kind of what I tell myself. Obviously, you've got a strong mindset. And when you're in these long, grueling races, and you're just in pain, what are you saying to yourself? I mean, there are definitely times where I'm not telling myself, telling myself the right thing. But um, I, I have a few different things I think about. First of all, um, I, you know, I know that the pain is in some ways, like what I swim for, I know it's going to be painful. I kind of prepare myself that it's going to be painful. I know that. So it's not a surprise when it happens. Um, And something that's been really beneficial for me um, is when I am like really, really feeling that hurt and mentally um, you kind of want to not give up, but slow down a little bit to kind of lessen the pain. Um, And it can, it's hard to motivate yourself when you're feeling like that. And so I'll try to, Um, And someone told me this a long time ago. I I can't remember who it it was, but I tried to do it for someone else. So whether that's my coach or my, one of my family members or my husband or my teammate. And um, in those moments, I feel it's a lot easier to, to push yourself um, for someone else than for yourself, kind of like uh, gift it to them. And that, that helps me a lot, especially, you know, towards the end of a, a long 10k when you're every single inch of your body is in pain. Yeah. And you want to stop, I'm sure, or at least light up a little bit. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's that's amazing. That's a great, that's a great answer. Those are, that was excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an endurance answer. (laughs) I like it. And so, yeah, go ahead, Maria. Well, I was just going to ask, you know, clearly you, you were a top, you're a brilliant person because you, you went through Duke with, with great, um, and what did you, what'd you major in, in college? I was a psychology major. So you had, you had everybody who goes to Duke knows it's, it's a really tough academic school, really tough. And you're at the same time an NCAA swimmer. So, you know, what, what, what qualities do you have that help you to be so successful? And which, which do you think are sort of, and I'm going to expand that, which do you think are sort of ingrained and which do you think you've developed? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think my, my parent, I owe a lot to my parents. I think they did a really good job of, um, instilling in myself and, and my siblings, I'm the youngest of four kids, um, just the importance of um, committing yourself to 
whatever you're doing. So, um, you know, they, my parents had us, you know, try whatever we wanted to try growing up, uh, whether it be different sports or, you know, instruments and music or art, whatever it was. Um, and we could do whatever we wanted, but we had to commit to it. Um, we weren't going to quit in the middle of a season. And so I think that's something that's uh, really, really helped me along the way. Um, I think just a dedication to the sport is, is really important and uh, discipline. You know, I um, talked to a group of swimmers a, a couple of days ago and one of them asked me like, how do you stay motivated every single day? And my answer was, I'm, I'm not necessarily motiv- motivated every single day. Like some days I wake up and I'm not like super excited and motivated to get in the pool. And I think on those days, I think what's really important is just is the discipline. And when you're not feeling motivated, you have to have discipline. And I think I was definitely like born with a little bit of that, but I feel like I've also worked on it throughout the years and throughout my swimming career to, to be really disciplined kind of in, in every facet, like obviously in the pool during workouts, but then like the little things like doing the the little shoulder exercises, I need to do the physical therapy for my shoulder. And a lot of times I would find myself doing the really hard work, which is in the pool and in the gym, and then kind of skimping on the, the easier things, honestly, like physical therapy or getting enough sleep or feeling well. And so um, I think being disciplined in those, you know, kind of across the board in every, in every single category, I think um, that is really the biggest, um, characteristic or, or value that's most important. And that's, that's a hard thing to do when you're, yeah, totally a hard thing to do. If we have listeners that are thinking, you know, they like swimming in a pool, but they do want to make that transition from pool swimming to open water swimming, what advice would you give them? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is to, well, first of all, of course, try it, but try it more than once. So my first open water race, real open water like race was in 2010. It was at Open Water Nationals. And like I said, I grew up swimming in the ocean with my dad for fun on family vacations to Florida and Cape Cod. And um, I did swim across America swims. They weren't really races, but I had done open water swimming a, a decent amount. And I was a distance swimmer. So I thought I was well-equipped and um, went out to, it was in Long Beach, California. So the water was, I think, 61 degrees, which I had never swum in anything like that before. Um, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about turns or drafting, feeding. I didn't even have a feeder. I didn't feed once throughout the 10K. And so it went pretty terribly for me. I think I finished second to last or last. And the 5K was set to be two days later. And my coaches were you know, kind of like, you know, maybe open water isn't your thing. You don't have to do the 5k. Like we can just enjoy the weekend in California and fly back. But I knew that if I didn't do that 5k, I would probably never touch open water. So I did the 5k. Obviously it's half the, it's half the time. So the, the temperature didn't affect me as much. Um, there's no feeding. So I didn't have to worry about that. And it, it went a lot better. I, I placed eighth and you know, it was just a better race overall. And then my next race was Open Water Nationals the next year, which is when I qualified for my first international team. So um, like I said, it's, it's very, it has similarities to pool swimming for sure, but it also has a lot of differences. And so allow yourself the time to learn those differences and learn from every race you do. And um, I think another big thing is just, uh, you know, get as much knowledge as you can from, from more experienced swimmers. That's something that helped me so much uh, leading into 2011 nationals, I went to the open water select camp and that's where 
they taught us so much information about strategies and, and turns and feeding and drafting. And so that was huge for me to, to learn all of those things. And we had a couple of national team, national teamers at that um, camp kind of mentoring us. And so to have them was, was huge. And so um, ask the questions and, and learn and kind of soak, soak in all you can and, and know that it's a lot different um, and you'll learn every single race you do, but definitely give it a chance or two because you might not love it the first time. It's very different. What was the coldest and hottest water you've ever swum in? So the coldest 10K I've done was either the one in Long Beach or the Olympic qualifier in Portugal was really cold too. I think it was right around 60 degrees. I also have done the Tiburon Mile uh, several times. And I think that water, I think the coldest I've done it, it was like 58 or 59, but it's a mile. So it's like 16, 17 minutes. So mentally a lot easier to get through that than knowing you're going to be in it for two hours. And then the warmest was um, probably world championships in Shanghai, China. Um, I did the 5k individual and the team 5k there. And the water I think was like 87, 88 degrees. And then the air was so hot and humid as well. So um, dangerous levels of heat for sure. Which one did you prefer of those two, if you had to do really cold or really hot? Um, I've gotten a lot better with really cold. And I really, at this point, I don't mind racing in really cold, but I hate practicing. It. Like, I, hate, <laughs> yeah. I hate that. Um, but during a race, like the adrenaline, adrenaline, and that's kind of the last thing you're thinking about is um, how cold you are. And then I, my body typically tolerates the heat pretty well. So I, um, while it wouldn't be my preference, I would love to swim in like, 78, 79 degree water. Um, I can handle the, the warmer temperatures pretty well. Do you wear uh, different suits based on the water temperature? This is from a newbie here. Yeah. So, um, we did not used to, so you, it used to be only, um, technical suits. So the open water technical suits are pretty much exactly the same as the pool, but they go down to the ankles instead of the, um, knee. Um, but it was a few years ago, FINA did change the rules. So now, um, in certain water temperatures, there's a category where it's wetsuit optional. So you can wear a wetsuit if you want. And then below a certain temperature, it is, um, I think it's below 65, it is wetsuit mandatory. Yeah, but I have never done a 10K um, it, with a wetsuit because I've never done one where the water has been that cold since yeah. then. Are the times different between wh- when people are wet- wetsuit optional and, and not wetsuits? Are they? Yeah, constant? I think, yeah, the, the ra- there's only been a, a couple of races. It's been a couple of World Cups where um, the athletes have worn wetsuits. And I think the times typically are faster just because of the, the buoyancy of the wetsuit. So I have a question. What do you have in your bag to keep getting better? Because I know with all this experience, you've seen several cycles of getting better and, you know, and and you're getting better and better, but you know, you must have something that you're thinking, this is what's going to get me to the Olympics and get me the, the medal or whatever. I think honestly, the biggest thing is, is mindset. Um, and like I said earlier, just perspective. Um, you know, I found, I found myself leading up to world championships in 2019, which was also the Olympic qualifier. Um, a few months out, I found myself having pretty like negative self-talk just about just, Uh, along the lines of if I don't qualify um, in the top 10 then like this all will have been a waste and why did I keep swimming and why did I put off other things um, that I want to do in my life to swim and then to not end up making the Olympic team and 
you know, it was like probably a week of thinking like that. And finally, um, I, instead of internalizing it, I talked to, you know, my husband and my family about kind of what I was feeling and those thoughts. And by actually vocalizing it and verbalizing it, um, I was able to see that that was crazy. And even if I hadn't qualified, um, it still would have been worth it. You know, it, I'm not defined by whether or not I make an Olympic team. And um, I, of course, I would have been really disappointed and really crushed had I not qualified in that top 10. But again, I think um, as long as I did everything I could leading up to it and in the race um, to get myself there, if I fell short, uh, I could still be really proud. And this is another thing I said to the group of kids I was talking to a couple of days ago. If, you know, if you have a really big goal, a, a scary goal and dream, it's, it's hard to put yourself out there and know that you might, I don't, I don't like saying fail, you might fall short. Um, but at the end of the day, if you do kind of give it everything you have that, and you do fall short, that's something to be really, really proud of that. That takes a lot of courage for sure. And it might take, you know, days or weeks or months or even years to kind of get past that disappointment. But I feel like when you do, it's, it's definitely something to, to be really, really proud of that you were able to kind of lay it all on the line and know that you might still fall short. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, in the interest of time, Ashley, what, uh, what have we not asked you that you might want to share with our listeners? I think the biggest thing is to, for, I guess, any listener, no matter what your age or you know, if you're a swimmer, no matter what your level is to as much as you can not compare yourself to others. Um, I'm still, it's still something I'm working on for sure. But um, I think it's a trap we all fall into. And, you know, I find myself looking at my competitors, especially, I think it's so easy nowadays with social media to kind of have at your fingertips, what everyone else is doing. And mm. it's so easy to, to see what someone else is doing and automatically think like, Oh, I should be doing that. Or, or I'm not doing enough or I'm doing too much and compare yourself to someone else or, or how have they qualified for that meet? And I haven't yet. And just to, as much as you can not compare yourself to others and realize that everyone's path is so different. I didn't make my first national team until I was 21 and I didn't make an Olympic team until I was, I had just turned 30. So just realizing that everyone's path is, is so different. And I think something that has helped me and of course everyone is different, but if it can help anyone else, I would love to share is I, for the past two to three years now, before any big competition, I will delete social media off of my phone. And that has been really, really helpful for me. I think I didn't realize myself until I got rid of it, how much, uh, you know, kind of just added stress and anxiety it was causing me just to be scrolling through. And so um, that's been really helpful for me. So I, you know, recommend at least trying it and, and see if it can work for you. But um, yeah, just to it just helps to not compare yourself to others and, and what other people are doing and what other people are saying. Ah, that's great yeah. advice. Yay. Wisdom. <laughs> wisdom. Absolute wisdom. Yeah. We, um, I, I can take that first one to heart for sure. And, and Maria and I always recommend media fasts, you know, just take, take, get that stuff. Especially, out of there. especially right now. Especially yeah. right yep. now. Yeah. It's amazing. Once you do it, you kind of realize it's like, like a weight you didn't even realize was on your shoulder. It's just kind yeah. of I grew, I grew it's, two it's inches. Wild. I grew two inches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's great. I believe it. <laughs> so we have a sprint around, even though you are uh, not, well, you, you have great speed. You have better speed than most people, but um, it is a sprint around. So are you ready to have a little fun? Yeah. Okay. Take your mark. Cat or dog? Dog. Red or blue? Blue. Milk chocolate or dark chocolate? Milk chocolate. Kickboard or no kickboard? No kickboard. Mountains or beach? Beach. Football or baseball? Football. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Morning person or night owl? Morning person. Hotel or camping? <laughs> hotel. hotel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, these are just short answers. Favorite color? Uh, blue. Favorite pizza topping? I'm boring. I just love pizza's like my favorite food, but just cheese pizza, a margarita pizza. <laughs> okay. Favorite vegetable? Artichokes. Hmm. Mm, yummy. Favorite swim complex in the U.S.? Mm, I love the Mission Viejo pool. Uh, something on your pre-race playlist? Uh, kind of all over the place, but I love country music, so probably that. Something relaxed, especially for an open water race, something relaxing. What's your shoe size? Eight and a half. Any siblings? Yes, three. The youngest of four. Okay. A favorite Star Wars or Harry Potter character? Have never seen or read Star Wars. Um, Harry Potter, I do love. It's like the only sci-fi, like probably Harry himself. <laughs> uh, can you cook? Yes, I like to cook. What word comes to mind when you dive in the water? Um, if it's a, I guess, race. Is there a different word for open water versus pool? Um, I, no, I think the other one besides race would be just relax. I think that's the key for me. I, I swim fastest when I'm relaxed. So especially in an open water race with how chaotic they can be, that's something I need to remind myself of. That's great. Wonderful. So Ashley, thank you so much for your time today. And it's just been wonderful to get to know you a little bit better. And we will be cheering for you like crazy Absolutely. and Absolutely. congrats on all your great swimming and for inspiring all of, uh, all of us. Thank yes. you so much. Yes. Thank you. Take care. It's now time for the takeaways. Maria, you and I have heard the takeaways are the best part of the show. That's right, Kelly, because the takeaways are curated information, which is what we give to our clients when we coach them. If you would like to take your performance to the next level in health, life, or leadership, go to our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. Yes, just click on our coaching page and book there. We're looking forward to bringing out the champion in you. And now, the takeaways. So, Maria, a fellow endurance athlete like the two of us and such a, a wise woman. What a great interview. I, I got so much out of it. How about you? Yeah, I loved Ashley Twitchell. She was wonderful. Uh, just as, just as, yeah, the wisdom, you know, that comes from experience is wonderful. Yes. Um, and lots, lots to take away. So do listen to the whole podcast. Yeah. And it was Ashley Twitchell making her first Olympic team just a little bit after turning 30. So right. that's just amazing. A great story. Yeah. So Maria, what is your first takeaway? Well, I, I there were a lot, but I'm, I'm going to start with this. She, 
She mentioned that having big, scary goals uh, takes courage. And when she, when she talks to other, you know, she mentioned talking to younger people, she said, you should, if you fall short, she, she said, I don't like to use the word fail, but if you have a really big, scary, hard goal and you don't quite get it, that's okay. You should feel good about yourself for creating these. Like a lot of times people don't even try. So if you put a big goal out there and then, you know, you don't, you, you fall short, you, you almost, you know, you, you got someplace from that. And I, I think that's a good reminder for those of us who are ambitious about our, our goal setting, set a big goal, do the best you can, and then feel good about that. I, I think that is a really powerful one. And one, like I, I, I've heard the saying, you know, shoot for the moon and you'll hit the stars. And, you know, it doesn't I, make I, any it, sense because it the moon doesn't. Is much I don't know closer. which one's closer. Well, shoot for the stars <laughs> and you'll hit the moon. I think that's it. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I really wanted to be an Olympian, you know, when I was a swimmer. And if I had looked at it as, oh, I'm, I failed making the Olympic team, but instead it's like, by shooting for the Olympic team, I got to be an NCAA All American and go to Olympic trials and do a lot with my swimming that, gave me huge rewards, but I would never say that I had a failed swimming career. No. So I think that was wisdom, even though I failed at one of my biggest goals, but I love falling short. short. So I think that's really powerful. My first one was the most powerful for me. Just don't compare yourself to others. I, I, I mean, that is just huge in any walk of life, whether you're in athletics or in business or in a, you know, creative space, whatever it is, just don't compare yourself to others. Because when you do that, you simply take your eye off the ball. You take your eye off your own goal. And then when you do that, you're, you're not even pursuing your own goal. So I really like that. I think, I thought it was really good too. <laughs> I was, I was just complaining to Jim last night that I, I, I'm, that about my cycling, that I'm, I'm comparing myself to other people on my team that I'm cycling with. And some of them seem to be making faster improvements than I am. And that's making me feel discouraged. <laughs> and when she said that, I was like, oh, you dummy, of course, you know? Yeah. Just do what you do. You do you. <laughs> and yep. and uh, yeah, so I thought that was a great, great bit of advice. Um, How about okay. your second one? Second, I love the story she told about her negative self-talk around, I think it was not making the 2016 team. Um, just a week of just saying, oh, I should quit. I've given all this time, blah, blah, blah. And she was thinking those things, but, but she said, instead of internalizing it, which I think so often we have these thoughts and we don't even, you know, say them out loud. We just have them. And she said, I verbalized them with my family and people who love me. And once I said them, I said, oh, you know, I, I've, I've wasted this time. I could have been doing other things. Then she realized even in the saying, and of course, well, I'm sure with affirmation from her loved ones. Oh, that's ridiculous. You know, that, that, and so I think it's really important. And, you know, Kelly and I have been kind of on the CBT kick, but this is what this is about. When you have a feeling, think about the thoughts behind the feeling and say them, identify them. What are you thinking that's making you feel that way and verbalize them to somebody who loves you. And they'll say, yeah, sometimes it's just the verbalizing it, <laughs> you know, makes you realize that's ridiculous. But sometimes having somebody else say uh, that's, that's crazy or, or no, you know, you're wrong. They'll help you see the distortions in your thinking. So I, I really loved that tip of hers. Yes. And, and these are cognitive distortions. These yeah. are cognitive distortions. And you don't even necessarily have to have 
a family member or a loved one to voice it to. Now right. we've got these apps, you know, we've got the, th the Thought Diary app, and I guess you found one called Wobot. Which it's you, wonderful. You, yeah, which, which will actually talk to you, like, right. oh, you're having this thought, and this is what it means. And so, exactly. you know, we, we do need to examine our thoughts, whatever uh, medium that is, with, with humans, with, a, with an app, with a Wobot. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll put that in the, in the show notes. So great. I thought that was a great takeaway. In your and second. My last one is her discipline. Like she said that discipline is one of her superpowers, but that she does need to work it like a muscle, which I loved. I could totally relate to that. I'm sure many of us can. So we all have discipline, discipline for big things. So if you're if your big thing is, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to run for 45 minutes or I'm going to swim for 45 minutes, but then you don't have the discipline to do the little things. Like for me, I, I so related to the shoulder exercises. Yeah. So I can force myself to get in and do, you know, a swim workout, but then I really need to do those small little exercises for my shoulders to keep them healthy. And sometimes I just don't have the discipline to do that. So she said, real discipline is having that overall time where you're, you know, you're working every part of your plan that's going to help you achieve your goals. And discipline for me, and I love this description, is simply taking what is in your head, what you're saying, I need to do my shoulder exercises, and actually doing it because yeah. it comes into my mind. And then it's like, oh, I'd rather fold laundry, or I'd rather make, write a script for a podcast, or I'd rather, you know, go for a walk, even though my mind is saying, Kelly, you need to do your shoulder exercises. So I think that was a big one for me. Yeah, that's good. She talked about, you know, sleep and things that maybe we don't even think of as very hard, like doing your shoulder exercises or, or eating right. Yeah, if you don't do those, you know, then then the hard things are going to be somewhat wasted. So I, I love that too. And yeah, I, I'm constantly saying, you know, just skipping the little things. So I think that's a great bit of advice. Yes. Great, great takeaway there. All right, Maria, thank you for today and for always. And I love you so oh, much. Kelly, and I love you too. Just, You're an inspiration yeah. to me every single day. You are to me as well. All right. Love you. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye-bye. This week's quote of the week comes from Ashley Twitchell. Don't compare yourself to others. Realize that everyone's path is different. You've been listening to the Champions Mojo podcast with host Kelly Palace and Maria Parker. Champions Mojo is produced by Cobra Media, and a new episode debuts every Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Follow Champions Mojo on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Champions Mojo.